on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. We bring you the latest OU football updates, including what we're hearing about Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins. In the National College Football Roundup, our buddy Cole Kubelik is back. He'll preview the CFP National Championship game between Ohio State and Alabama. We give you our winners and losers of the week and wet the beak with the AFC wildcard matchup between the Browns and Steelers. To finish up, we discuss where OU and OSU basketball will travel for March Madness after the NCAA made a big decision this week in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, January 7th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. First Fidelity Bank donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. During the middle of the Thunder game, OU Baylor just started, but the schedule is the schedule, Teddy. This this is how we roll, and I'll say this. Wednesday was a relatively wild and crazy day in this country. Uh, we're going to talk about sports. Uh, we're going to take your mind off of all of that, and we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk a little basketball. We're here to entertain you, and all of that stuff is a lot, and I, I am way too jet-lagged for that, Ted. I, I just I, I just can't dive into all that right now. There's plenty of sports people talking politics out there right now, so we'll let them handle it right now. Yeah, we're going to get straight to the OU football stuff because, once again, people are like, what are you guys going to talk about once the season's over? Well, come on. I'm, it just, it just keeps coming. Let's start Charleston Rambo, right? Uh, entering the transfer portal. And Teddy, we've talked about Rambo before. Uh, talented player, good player. We were hoping that he would take another step this year, maybe become that go-to guy. And it just didn't work out that way for him. Uh, it, and clearly you don't want to lose a talented veteran player, 
played a lot of snaps for you, started a lot of games, but I can't really blame him because you look at the rest of the receivers on the roster and with what he, what we saw from him this year, I'm not really sure how many opportunities he would have had next year, especially because he's got young guys that are probably were about to pass him by. Maybe he recognized that and got out of there. Well, I mean, think about this. We were expecting him to have a huge year, maybe be the, the breakout and be the new number one go-to guy. And he had the benefit of Bridges missing in basically an entire year and Hazelwood basically missing an entire year, and he still didn't. And right. we're led to believe that Hazelwood's going to be back and ready to go next year. Hopefully that's the case. Sounds, I mean, sounds like a re-recruitment situation with Hazelwood maybe just <laughs> needs to feel the love again it's all it's all right hopefully that'll all work out but yeah I, I know what you're saying I mean you're talking about if he does come back next year Mims Bridges Theo Weiss Hazelwood Stogner throw Stoops into the mix I mean that's a Bowman bunch kid of, coming yeah. in from Denton Ryan you got Mario Williams of out of the state of Florida man. It's a brutal yeah. room, which is what you want, ultimately. Exactly. That's what you want. He, he's going to help someone quickly, but uh, I know a lot of OU fans are looking at it going, okay, what's, what's the deal with the portal? And I, I wonder at what point uh, the portal starts slowing down a little bit for all teams, right? Not just for Oklahoma, because as far as I know, the NCAA has not reevaluated the 25 countable guys limit, right, for a year? Yeah. Right. That hasn't changed. That, that you needs have to, to use one of your one of those available scholarships for a transfer portal guy if you get them. So now, I guess theoretically, you could always, if the situation is able, get the guy to walk on. But that could be a difficult situation. And once he's there, maybe it's a little bit different. You can move pieces around. But as far as I know, yes, that's correct. So that'll be. That'll definitely be something that we'll all keep an eye on. Okay, so Trey Norwood, remember, came out, declared, and it was good to see, hey, got the senior in bowl invite, uh, senior bowl invite. He accepted it, of course. And, Teddy, we talked about it a lot, a lot last episode, him being able to be a versatile piece in the secondary. And going down there, Mobile, that's going to be a huge opportunity. I know I keep saying that for every guy for OU that's going to the Senior Bowl, but it, it really is, especially for a guy like Norwood, to show what he can do against elite wide receivers. Because let's face it, I mean, how many elite wide receivers did he see in the Big 12 this year? I mean, that's that's something you, you don't see a ton of, right? So I, I think it's a huge opportunity for Norwood. No, I do too. Um, what's difficult for Norwood is because of his versatility, like his biggest asset is going to make it difficult for him at the senior bowl because one coaching staff may want to look at him at corner at nickel at safety. And if that's the case, I mean, he's going to have to have a whole lot of stuff thrown at him in one short little uh, week of practice so that could be difficult on him. But as far as the way he plays, I mean, I I can't say enough about the guy. And, you know, I know we talked about how difficult of a year he had, but if I could 
it's hard to put into context how difficult it is to play safety one week, to play nickel the next week, to play corner the following, and never have a home. It, I mean, I know those are probably technically in the same position room, but all of them are completely different techniques and in different parts of the scheme. So it just shows the ability he has, not just athletically, but mentally. Nothing makes a player smarter, more ready for the game at the next level than having played multiple positions and having to understand how to play defense on a total view instead of just a tiny little unique view from one position. Yeah, and that and what he had to do in Grinch's system this year, right, where they were moving him around, that's going to be really good for him in those interviews, right? And and we had Creed Humphrey on last episode, and after we got done recording, he told us, hey, they're going to do some of those interviews they traditionally do at the Combine. They're going to do a bunch of those at the Senior Bowl to try to kind of space those things out uh, with with the pandemic still going on. So you would assume that Norwood's knowledge of all those positions, it's going to help him in those meetings when he's getting on the whiteboard with teams and, and talking coverages, talking assignments, talking run fits. So that should be to his advantage. Now, his head may be spinning when he's yeah. out there on the practice field, which could you know end up being unfortunate, but he won't have to think that much, hopefully, in the one-on-one situations, right? So wish, it, wish him the best. I, I say it every time, but I, I can't wait to see how he performs in that setting. It's going to be interesting. Now, on to the, the, the next piece of OU football drama, Ramondre Stevenson. He puts out a video on social media that had people talking. I think it was like a genie emoji. Yeah. Is the genie in the bottle? Is the genie coming back? What's the meaning of the genie? But, Ted, from what I've been told, Ramondre Stevenson's going to the league. From what I've been told, they feel that it is a heavy, heavy, heavy lean that he will be moving on and that he will be accepting a senior bowl invite and participating in that. And obviously the combine and all those things. So I, but what is up with the cryptic videos? Can we, can we just get something? I don't know. I I mean, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's coming back from, but from everyone I've talked to, it sounds like he's ready to move on. Huh? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the genie thing says. It's weird because like the video obviously has the I'm back part whenever he was at Texas Tech. I've got which, it. Genie, genie in the bottle. Genie in the bottle. Christina Aguilera. Christina Aguilera's rival was who? Britney Spears. Britney Spears' favorite song or most popular song. Hit me, baby, one more time. He's coming back one more time, right? No. What just happened? I blacked it's out. It's a, a good point. That was Is the that dumbest really, thing I've ever said on here. I think Britney's best song was toxic so is that Ooh, saying definitely that the best a, video it's a toxic situation and he's trying to get out i mean damn it I it could know. be that <laughs> but i i have no idea what that means here's the thing um you can get mad at this you can accept it i would say accept it but it is it's self-promotion on social media man that's You've got the opportunity. It's a good you highlight know, video. Yeah. You know, you've got a, a ton of people waiting for your decision. So if you put something out that 
is pretty ambiguous, no one knows, then it generates a ton of attention and people retweet and like and comment and it's about self-promotion and that's really what he accomplished. (laughs) Anything else? I don't know. Uh, Mission accomplished for Ramondre Stevenson. I will be surprised if he comes back, but I hope he does. But once again, I would be very, very surprised. Now, on to the next piece of OU drama. Ronnie Perkins, kind of all quiet on the Ronnie Perkins front. Sounds like it might still be up in the air. He's kind of leaning towards leaving because he has gotten some more feedback and he's basically getting that he will definitely be a second rounder from what I've been told that that's kind of the feedback he get that he's a firm second round guy, that that's, that's kind of the, the floor, if you will. But we've talked about this before. I just, I don't know what position he plays in the national football league. He's, he's a really, really productive college player, but I don't know if he has the twitch to be a stand up edge guy in the league. I don't know if he has the size and strength to put his hand down and just be a straight up five technique. Ted, I I, I don't know. I, I wonder how a lot of NFL teams are even viewing him, but there's no doubt in my mind, he's, he's definitely got second round talent. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always difficult when a team has to project you at a spot. You know, that's, that is never a good thing for, for uh, draft position. Whenever it's definitive, like this is a hand down, DN, he's rushing off the edge, and he's going to be elite, that's what you want. Whenever you're trying to project because you're going to be putting someone in a position that you haven't seen, you're not sure how it's going to turn out, it, it, when you start to guess in there, it's, it's always a little bit different. Now, you know, he's listed at, I think, 6'3", 247 pounds. Now, I think it's a more of a barely 6'2 situation with him. And I think 245, 255 is probably where he's going to be. So if that puts him as a stand-up guy, well, if you're a stand-up guy, you better show well in the stand-up movement stuff that I don't think he's ever really been doing. He's never been a guy that's shown like a bunch of bend right? A bunch of flexibility, more of like a rigid power guy. Also, I'm not entirely sure how much length he has. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. You think stand-up edge guy, you think just incredibly long arms where they can use the long arm, a stab, keep guys away from their body. I Well, even hand down guys, like there's been some undersized, and I was about to say, if you're undersized at the hand down position, you better have two Two things that are definite. You better have length as far as arms, and you better have speed and get off. And that has to be testable, right? Not just, you know, you need to be able to see it on film, but it also needs like hard evidence that it's there. Like a guy that comes to mind that was undersized hand down guys like Elvis Dumerville, who had incredibly long arms, 
and an incredibly insane get-off. I don't think you have any one of those things with Ronnie Perkins. And if you if you can't test those things, if, you, if it doesn't show up like hard evidence that it's there, it becomes difficult to draft it. You know, so I don't know. If he goes out and runs incredibly well, which from what I've heard that, that don't think that's necessarily going to be the case, then he could fly up the boards. But if he doesn't, and you've now got an undersized guy that didn't run very well, I mean, who knows? That's I definitely think he's a second-round talent. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. Right. He's a football I just don't player. Know I'll the, give him that. I just don't know how the NFL is going to view it. Someone's got to stake their career on it. You know, I mean, whenever you're taking a guy that high, I mean, it better pan out. Well, let, let's say worst-case scenario, right? He doesn't test well. He He's the guy that graduated, I believe, so he'd be able to go to the Senior Bowl, be able to show teams what he can do there, right? But if he doesn't test well, he doesn't have that length. You're looking at a guy that could probably fall to the third day. You know, you're talking maybe a fourth-round pick at the very worst, which that would – I mean, that would be – Really unfortunate if a guy that talented went in the fourth, but we've seen weirder things. Yeah, I mean when you're in, when you're a tweener, some teams just look at you and go, "Hey, I I don't know where you fit in my scheme. I I just don't know where you fit, so I I, I can't draft you." Uh, I mean, a lot of teams draft that way. The other thing is, you know, everyone knows like the reason he's not on a bunch of big boards right now and mock drafts is. Because a lot of people don't know who he is. He missed half the season, you know? And when you miss half the season, you're you're not on any of those big boards. And what's going to happen the first time you sit down in those interviews? It's going to be the only thing you're asked about the entire time you're there. They're going to just hammer at home. Why'd you miss half the season? Are, we, are you dependable? Can we trust you to do the right things? And they're going to hammer that home. If he put that behind him, and came back and put a full season out there, I don't know how much it gets brought up at all. Yeah. No, that's a good point. There's no doubt. So it's going to be interesting to see what he decides. Um, I tend to think that he's going to leave uh, when you're I getting a second. Yeah, when you're getting a second-round grade, I mean, it's hard to Especially, say, you know. I think the year that it's been, as, as brutal as it's been to be a college football player, and I know people are probably laughing at that, but the especially testing, for him. the yeah, I mean, just the testing, the protocols, and not being able to see family or friends or have a normal life. And I know a lot of people haven't had a normal life, but I, I it makes it understandable for guys to say, ah, my grade's not as good as I thought it would be, but I'm not going through that again next year. I'm out. Yeah. One more thing. Heisman odds are out for next season because of course they are. Of course they're already out. And Teddy, you called it. Spencer Rattler is the betting favorite. Not shocking at all with some of the things we saw from him this season, but he's followed and I've looked at a couple different places, but uh, the majority of them have him being followed by other quarterbacks like Sam Howe from North Carolina, uh, DJ Uyangalale from Clemson, and then Keaton Slovis from USC. So big expectations for that kid next season. 
Yeah, I mean, hey, you had a great first year. Now, year two, you're expected to go to the national championship he, and win a Heisman. He was he was like third on the preseason odds, remember that, before he had yeah. even started the game. So he, he's True. probably used to this. True. I mean, just by – and this will all change during the season next year. It always does. But just by the process of elimination, I don't know who else you would put up there. I mean – uh, Uyunga Lale is up there and he's played what one game? Um, Bryce Young, I saw him at number like five or six. He's the backup to Mac Jones. He's has he played a snap? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he has in some mop up duty, but he's never started a football game at Alabama. So when you got two guys in the top six that have never started, like I know, other than the one game against Notre Dame, like two non starters this year, I mean, it's really there's no one left. And I like Sam Howell at North Carolina, but Heisman, eh, I don't know about that. So I, I agree with it. I agree with it. I think not only is he the favorite at this point, I'd be shocked if he didn't win it. Now, like I said, things always change during the season, and someone comes from out of nowhere like Joe Burrow did. Stuff like that always happens. And I wouldn't put it past either Uyunga Lale or Bryce Young to do it. But right, as you look at it right now, I mean, he's got a great chance. Yeah. He's got to improve, right? A lot of people out there going, he's got to win the starting quarterback job, right? And we'll, we'll see how that all ends up working out. But it's good. It's good when OU's quarterback is the uh, odds on favorite to win the Heisman. That's right. That's usually a good sign. All right, Ted, let's move on to Call Your Shot, and that's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And we asked you guys, with all the things that have happened with OU football this week, what's the most important storyline and why? And our favorite comes from intellectualista. Intellectualista. I don't even know how to say that (laughs) word, but at Freedomnator. Oh, my gosh. At Freedomnator on Twitter says, does the portal facilitate parity by spreading out blue chips or encourage disparity by making high school recruits more comfortable they can bolt from a premier team if they don't knock off the five-star ahead of them by the end of redshirt year one? There's a lot going on there, but basically I think wondering if the portal can somehow level the playing field a little bit. I mean, I think so. Let's look at it in our case. Um, Rambo, Charleston Rambo, has entered the transfer portal. 
a fantastic wide receiver and the way things have, have played out kind of found, ended up finding himself at the back of the rotation, but easily a good enough wide receiver to start and be a go-to target for somebody somewhere. And day one, he's the best wide receiver on that football team. So I do think that in a sense, it will help the parody out there by spreading the talent around. Now, also that being said, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, it's not necessarily the easy way out, but I'm not a fan of being able to jump ship because you're not starting and go somewhere else and be able to start. To me, that lowers, that waters everything down. I mean, the reason you get guys like, in, in this case has been well-documented, Devontae Smith, the guy that elevated himself and went and won the Heisman Trophy is because he was at the back of the rotation. And in order to get to the front, there is no lifeline. It is improve, win every day in practice, win every drill, win in the weight room, handle your business off the field. If you do all of those things, you're going to end up finding your way on the field. I just, I, I, I worry that the easy way out in the grand scheme of things, is it going to matter? Probably not, but there's something to be said for someone that sticks around, knows their deficiencies, knows their weaknesses, knows they have to improve and takes it upon themselves to fix that instead of going somewhere where they don't have to fix it and they can go play. Yeah. And intellectualista, I'm not going to get that word. That that's hard. Uh, I think if you're thinking the transfer portal, if you're thinking about parity in college football, clearly there is a huge imbalance uh, when it comes to talent. Uh, just look at the recruiting rankings. One thing that may be able to help parity a little bit, I, I do think, is the name, image, and likeness stuff that is coming down, right, that, that is going to be in place soon because all of a sudden kids have a choice of, you know, going to a Bama, and being one of, you know, 55 stars or going somewhere and playing right away and maybe being the guy that gets all the endorsement money. So I, I think I'm, I'm hoping that will cause a little more parity in college football. And then, you know, you add on expanding the playoff, all those types of things. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, the, the transfer portal, still young, still young. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I do think that there will be a bit of, you know, a little bit of shock, a bunch of guys jumping. And we've seen that a little bit already. A traffic jam. A traffic portal jam. jam. But at some point, I think everything will level off and it's not really going to be the big thing to do anymore. But I could be wrong about that. It may continue to increase. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Okay, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup. That's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your 
businesses' specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Okay, for the National College Football Roundup, we've got a national championship game preview with our man Cole Kublik. He does it all, folks. He is the absolute best, and here he is. Here's Cole Kublik. It is our pleasure to be joined by our buddy, Cole Kublik, you can catch him on WJOX from two or 10 to two, 10 to two, right, Cole? 10 to two. Yep. Central 10 to two. Weekdays, middays. Weekdays. You can also catch him on SEC Network and go follow him on Twitter at Cole Kublik. Cole, you're like the hardest working guy in <laughs> all of college football media. It, is it nice? Be, before we make you uh, preview the national championship game, of course, and make you work some more. Is it nice to get a little breather? Are you done? Like, are you done or does it just, it never stops? No, I'm, I mean, I, I'm officially done with anything television related, but I never, I never like to not work. So um, I would love to be doing something for the game in some capacity, but I'm just talking to you guys instead. So that's going to have to be, an, that's <laughs> going to have to be enough. That's going to have I to mean, be enough for this week. Yeah. I imagine though that you know if you're you're covering the stuff and everything, but the talks of maybe moving the game back is like no, don't move this thing back. Let's not make this season last any longer. But if you if you do sports talk radio in Birmingham, Alabama, like I do, drag it out, kind of like eh, it might not be so bad. <laughs> Give us another week to talk about this thing. So uh, instead of just. Shifted over. I mean, I think they're playing college basketball right now. People tell me they are. I mean, I don't, I mean, it's kind of like I don't know if that's a real thing or not. But I shift my focus to basketball when football's over. So um, one more week of talking about football, I think I'd be cool with that. Yeah, there's no doubt. Now, b- before we dive into kind of the nitty gritty of the Alabama Ohio State game, uh, I did want to get your thoughts because you followed the sport about as close as anyone. Uh, Devonte Smith. Uh, wins the Heisman Trophy, obviously still, in my opinion, the most prestigious trophy in all of sports. Uh, what did you think of him winning? Because he had one hell of a season, man. Yeah, I think I think they got it right. Um, I don't have a, vise, a Heisman vote. I don't anticipate I ever will have a Heisman vote. Um, I made it pretty clear a couple of years ago that I would have had Quentin Nelson number one, and then the next year I would have had Quentin Williams number one. And so I think even if I did have a vote after those two, I'd have probably been asked to leave and never come <laughs> back. So uh, we'll, we'll just be happy pretending like we know what we're talking about. But um, I thought he was the most outstanding player this season. And that's what the trophy says. The trophy doesn't say who's the highest projected draft pick or who has the highest ceiling as far as their NFL career is concerned. Or, you know, I, I look at it as a lot of times if you took that guy off his team – who is that going to result in the most L's? And after Jalen Waddle went down, I, I think you could very well make that argument for Devontae Smith because, yes, they would have had Najee. They would have had that offensive line that just won the Joe Moore Award. They would have had Mac Jones. But that was the guy that seemingly turned 
easy, high percentage passes into explosive plays that was able to take the top off. He worked the middle of the field. He broke tackles. He took big hits. You know, the way that Sark used him is something that a lot of people don't really talk about. And, you know, Sark is Sark runs a he when I met with him earlier this year, he called it a motion offense. He said, I run a motion offense. And he said, we don't have to run tempo because the advantages that people usually gain running tempo, I gain using motion shifts, trades, things like that. And the guy who really benefited from that was Devontae. They would motion him to the backfield and then they'd retrace him and they'd hit him on a little flare. Or, you know, they trade him, motion him across. They'd hit him on the rocket motion, jet motion, hand it to him, pitch it to him, utilize him down the field. I mean, they, he was a Swiss Army knife for that offense. He wasn't just a guy that lined up outside and, you know, could moss everybody and catch every ball thrown his way. Um, he did some dirty work as a wide receiver. And I think you saw late in the year, if he'd have been on special teams the entire season, he, he'd have put up even more ridiculous numbers. So I will say I don't think he wins the award if Jalen Waddle stays healthy because if you go look at the numbers – um, I mean, I had him pulled up earlier. I mean, Devontae's first five games, eight for 89, six for 63. And then game three, he goes 13 for 164, 11 for 67, and then seven for 73. You're like, oh, that's pretty good. But he got off to a pretty slow start. Well, yeah, before Waddle got hurt, Waddle goes eight for 134, two touchdowns, five for 142 and a touchdown, six for 120 and six for 161 and a touchdown. Like he was, he was the target early on. So but I think Devontae Smith said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll be the guy. Move me wherever you want. Throw it to me however you need me to. Whether it was one-handed catches, whether it was catches in traffic, running away from people, he did it all. And I thought he was the most outstanding player. Well, I was of the opinion that the finalists all should have been Alabama guys. I think it should have been yeah. Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. And it's crazy to say a guy that's on a team with two other finalists was snubbed, but I feel like Najee Harris was snubbed. I feel like he is right there in the group, and I personally, I would probably put him as the best player in the country. I mean, I think you're talking, Teddy, about a guy, I think he's the all-time leading rusher in Alabama history. I think he's the all-time single-season rushing touchdown leader in Alabama history. More touchdowns in his career in Alabama history. I mean, think about some of the running backs we're talking about, and not just the Saban backs, you know, Henry, Ingram, Richardson, uh, T.J. Yeldon, um, you know, Drake, but also go back Bobby Humphrey, Johnny Musso. I mean, you, you've had Sherwood-Williams, Derek Lassick. There's been really good backs that have played there for a long time, and he's put up better career numbers than any of them and better numbers this season than almost any of them. I mean, he didn't have as many touches as Derek Henry did. I think it was in 14 when they ran him into the ground, had like 398 carries. But his numbers are, are off the charts. And I do believe if there wasn't a Smith or a Jones, we would be paying a lot more attention to the numbers that he put up. And what's crazy about it is I think he's only had 30 or more carries like twice this year. So he's not even like a super feature back guy. Like he catches the ball out of the backfield well. I mean, he's, he's a do-it-all back. I agree with you, especially with the way Trask ended. I would have been fine having Najee as number three. Trevor gets lost in it all because he missed a couple games, but he had an amazing year. I have no problem for people who like Trevor and think he should be in the, in the discussion or – if you want to argue him at one, that's fine. But I do think people are leaning on a little bit more of a career achievement when they do that. But Najee had an amazing season. Best, I mean, think about – here's the crazy thing about Alabama. Think about the guys that played that, that made themselves money this year. Devonta Smith was not going to be the number one receiver going into this year. Jamar Chase was going to be one. You had another guy or two that maybe would have been there. So you're talking about a kid that maybe went from even 15, 18, 20, 
to four or six, I mean, you're talking about $15 million guaranteed. Najee was not the best back. I mean, you had Kylan Hill at Mississippi State. You had Travis Etienne at Clemson. You had a, a couple guys that were going to be ahead of him. I think he's the first back off the board. And if he gets sort of the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire treatment and comes off late first, I mean, you're talking about another guy that could have easily made another five, eight million guaranteed that he wasn't going to get normally. Alex Leatherwood played all year, left tackle. He made himself some money. He won't be the first tackle taken, but I think he's going to be in the first five tackles taken, and there's going to be a run on him in the first 20. So he made money. Landon Dickerson has a chance to be the first center off the board now. And everybody said that was going to be Creed Humphrey or Drake Jackson or a couple other guys that they decide to come out would have been ahead of him. Now he's potentially a first-round guy. It's crazy to think that out of all these conversations of opting out, quitting, choosing not to play, preparing for the draft, you know, sitting out, whatever you want to call it, whatever it was, whenever it was, these dudes for Alabama came back and played. Not only did they play well, this is what everybody's talking about why you don't do it is for what they actually just did, make themselves a ton of money. I, I was looking at it, and I counted between six and seven guys could potentially be first-round draft picks for Alabama this year. Yeah, Sertain's definitely going first. I yep. mean, he's, he's definitely a first-rounder. Uh, I think Leatherwood's on the fence. Dickerson's on the fence. I think Najee sneaks off late first. Devonta's a first. Mac Jones, depending on what happens with quarterbacks in the first, you know, five to ten, could slip off the board there. I mean, it's, it's – I mean, Jalen we, – we're not talking about Waddle. Waddle's a first-round right. pick. Yeah. He might play Monday yeah. night. He's a first-round pick. And, and so, I mean, Dylan Moses, he hadn't had, I don't think he's had a great year, but just his physical tools, he could easily be a first-round linebacker. great. Yeah. I like him a lot. He, I mean, it's, you're right. You're talking five to seven guys off the board in the first round. Again, <laughs> nothing really new. But, well, don't I mean, be think replacing think about him with this. seven five-stars in this recruiting class this year. No, there's zero doubt. I mean, think about the <laughs> fact that when Saban took over, Alabama did not have a Heisman Trophy, and they had one national championship in 30-something years. I mean, they got one in 92. It was, a, it was 78 or 79 before that. And now he's got all these division titles, conference titles, national titles, three Heisman trophies, all of these other awards, whether it's, you know, they got two Joe Moore awards now, all these Outlands, these Butkus awards, these Bolitnikoff awards, Dope Walker, Johnny United's Golden Armor. I mean, the, the, the trophy, can, we talk about all these teams building new facilities. Alabama needs a new trophy. Like they need a, a, a trophy, like field house, just for what Saban's brought to the table. It's, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's, what he's accomplished, uh, it's it's ridiculous. Okay, let's dive into the game, Cole. And when you look at it, despite what Nick Saban's daughter may think Ohio State is trying to pull, it, it sounds like the game is actually going to get played from what we've heard from Bill Han- Hancock, right? From what we've heard from both athletic directors. It sounds like this game is going to be played Monday night. So I, I got a simple question for you to start it off in. Who do you think has the advantage at quarterback? Probably Alabama. And the main reason that I would say that is I don't know how healthy Justin Fields is. So if Justin Fields is 80, 75%, and that forces you to limit the amount of design runs for him, or if that limits the amount of times that he does not pull that ball out of the running back mesh, which maybe he should, maybe the look tells him that he should, or if it's close where he normally could have turned that into a big play, um, that affects your team. And that affects how you're defended, and that affects how explosive you are. 
Um, I also think that there are still parts of this Ohio State team that are a little bit new. Um, I didn't. I, I picked Clemson to win the game, but now that we've seen Trey Sermon do what he's done the last few weeks, like I think it's fair if you went into the playoff not necessarily just thinking that Ohio State is this dynamic run team from the tailback position, because I think it was December fifth until he had his first rushing touchdown this year. And he didn't go over 13 carries in a game until the Big Ten title game. So, you know, third to last game, first rushing touchdown. That was Michigan State. He did have 110 yards on like 12 carries. And then first time over 13 carries was Big Ten title game. But now we see that he's dynamic. He Master Teague was kind of a, you know, Master Teague's got two directions on his compass. He's got north and south. Trey Sermon's got every direction on the compass. Like he can go anywhere he needs to at any time. And he can run through you. So I think he's made him a different team. And then, too, you, you guys know how it is. You're, we were all different players week 10, week 8, than we were week 2 and week 4. You just your, your body gets more acclimated. Your wind gets more acclimated. You just have a better feel for what you got around you, what you need to communicate, what you don't need to communicate. And I just think that was one more game, one more step for those guys. Somebody asked me the other day, is Ohio State peaking? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think they're on their way to be peaking. But I would probably need four more games to know if, if they are peaking, have peaked, or maybe coming back down. So I, I think that because of a little bit of uncertainty, like they haven't been that tight and heavy. And, and, and against Clemson, they were, and it worked. So I think that maybe they're still trying to iron some things out, and that might not be a bad thing. That might be a great thing because they may have things that they're pulling into this game that they haven't shown a lot of that Alabama's not ready for, and all of a sudden they're up and down the field. Um, so I would probably say Mac Jones has an advantage because he knows what they are. He knows what they're going to be. And I'm pretty sure he's as close to hundred percent healthy as you can be at this point in the season. How about defensively? I mean, you, you're talking about two, uh, two programs that historically have been outstanding defensively. You know, I, we could sit here and talk about first round draft picks off of these two teams on the defensive side all night long and this year for I guess the last two years maybe for Alabama it's trended differently I personally think that has something to do with the upswing of their offense Uh, and Ohio State obviously losing a bunch of really good players last year but there's some guys emerging where do you think these these defenses uh, you know whenever you throw them up against each other and against the offenses that are going to be out there how do you think these two defenses stack up? I think that I think Alabama is more talented and has more ability, but I think Ohio State's defense is capable of doing more well. Now, I'll say this: if if it is that defensive line room that has been hit by COVID, and a seventy-two is one of those guys that is not able to play because of that, that kid's a they, player now. I think they got big Ooh. problems. They got big problems because the reason they need him is Landon Dickerson is not going to play, and they've only had one game without him against Notre Dame. And I'm not saying that Chris Owens was bad. I'm not saying that they weren't good as an offensive line, but they ain't the same. I promise they are not the same with that. The guy, he's a tone setter, and he he brings the attitude, the demeanor, the nasty, the filth. Like, that's who that guy is. And without him, they're just different. They are just flat-out different. So – to have a dude in the middle that he may have to be handling that, that changes 
the perspective of the team a little bit. Um, the way I see Alabama's defense this year is super talented, high ceiling, very twitchy, more twitch, maybe more twitchy than any defense Saban has had. But they're not a very good read and react defense. Teddy, they are very much when they are given one go, when they are given one place to be, they are really good. When it's a slant, when it's some sort of a blitz, be a run blitz or a pressure package, when it's, hey, 32, A gap, go, like they are really good. And there's not a lot that a lot of people can do about it. When Will Anderson, 31, out at defensive end, when he's on an inside slant, I, I would say 80% of his tackles for loss or disruptive plays in the backfield have come on some sort of a stunt. But when they're asked to read and react, that's when they get in a little bit of trouble. And that's when guys aren't necessarily home all the time. And when you have an offense that's going to give you that, that triangle read, as I like to call it, where the quarterback can hand it, he can keep it, or he can throw it via RPO. Now, all of a sudden, if you have conflict defenders that are unsure of themselves in those spots or find themselves in the wrong place, you could be in a lot of trouble. And two, I think I, I think the one of the big advantages for Ohio State is physically they can just they can match up. I mean, they, they've got Josh Myers is a really good center. He is a physical center, and Wyatt Davis is the best right guard in college football. So, and they can add some tight ends to help as well, which which gives you a little added benefit. But I think structurally, fundamentally, from an assignment perspective, how multiple they can be, I would lean Ohio State. Overall athleticism, ability to attack and just make plays with talent and skill, I would go Alabama. So in, in a game like this, I think that probably favors Ohio State because with all the explosive weapons on both sides of the ball, you can't be in the wrong place. You can't miss very often. Uh, you get sucked up to the line of scrimmage, and that slant behind you, it's not going for eight or 18. It's going for 80. And that's, that's kind of how I see those two groups. Now, you, you we're obviously – all wondering how healthy Fields is. If he's able to push the ball down the field like he did against Clemson, when you look at Bama's secondary, Cole, do you, do you think that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and that group, do you think they can have some big-time explosive plays in the passing game, or do you think that's really dependent on what's happening with Sermon and that running game? Because that's how it kind of seemed, right? They were pounding them with Sermon. That really opened up things vertically form against Clemson yeah I think I think only three teams have passed for 300 yards against them so I don't think you're going to make a living there but Pete Golding has shown that he will overcommit at times and I think because they don't have an elite pass rusher they have turned into a pressure team which means you're going to get the one-on-ones as long as you stay away from certain I think you can find some success there and the problems that other teams have had is they just flat out haven't been able to protect and the, the, the weird thing about this Alabama defense is they, they don't have like a Quinnen Williams or a Jonathan Allen, but they seem to have a guy step up every now and then. Like DJ Dale will give you a really nice pass rush move and he'll win and get home. Two series later, Barmore gives you this crazy bull rush and like he gets to the quarterback and gets a hit. And then Will Anderson slants inside on a twist and he gets to the quarterback. So they, they're very spotty and who can hurt you up front, but they're not, none of them are very consistent up front. So I think with the, again, with a good offensive line, that, that plays to your advantage. And if, if Pete Golding has to pressure, which I think he will in order to get home, 
then I, I think that I think that that's probably a chance that you're going to be able to hit some of those balls downfield. I mean, put the whole Miss film on. They were they found ways to do it. Hell, they had 200 yard rushers and hit balls down the field. Now tempo was their best friend in that game, but I, I never in my life thought I would sit here and tell you that I watched the film where the Ole Miss offensive line pushed the Alabama defensive line around. But that happened. I mean, it's I got video of it. I can show it to you. It's real. It's not mythical. It, it actually took place. So. I think uh, – and, and that was one of the most brilliant things that Ohio State did in, in that game against Clemson was how they mixed and matched just basically getting the plays in. And whether it was tempo-tempo or whether it was huddle and wait or whether it was huddle, sprint to the line of scrimmage, snap as fast as possible. I mean, they kept those guys on their heels. I, I, I really want to go chart the amount of yards that Ohio State had when the Clemson defense was not set, when they were not aligned because – they had a couple of chunk plays when that defense was not ready and not lined up. And I'll be willing to bet they had a pretty big portion of their yards. And I'm not saying that they didn't earn it, but there it's, I mean, they, they earned the fact that those guys weren't ready to defend it and then they took it from them. So I'm not taking any credit away from Ohio state, but that plan aided in that greatly. Is there a coaching advantage? And typically everyone would say, well, it's Alabama. They've got Nick Saban. And I would agree with that, but, They've also haven't lost an offensive coordinator. He's, you know, he's taken a head job. He's going to be there with the team. But we all know that you can't be two places at once. And he's got demands right now for the University of Texas. And he's got demands at Alabama. One of them has to be slipping. And my guess is it would be the one that's paying you less money. But you never know. It's really obviously really important for him and, in Texas, for the, for them to get that win, that would be pretty meaningful. So is that going to factor in whenever it comes to the preparation for this football game at all? I think I saw where this is the sixth time that Nick Saban has prepared for a national title game and had a departing coordinator leading into that game. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, that's, ridiculous. That is a stupid stat. Um, three, five years ago, absolutely, it's a problem. Um the big reason it's different, in my opinion, is the early signing period. In that now, 80 to 95% of these signing classes are wrapped up. They're done. And that used to be the big fast forward. Remember, guys, you should, sure. I, I got to go, I got to go try to save my signing class. We got to go try to, I got to save this class. I got to make sure that this class comes in. And also, the, Team's the portal, gone. yeah, the portal wasn't what it, what it is a couple of years ago as well. So now, you can sit back and say, okay, well, you know, we signed, you know, 20 kids, so we don't have many spots left. We're probably going to take a couple of transfers anyway. So we don't really have to go recruit, you know, 15 high school kids, hoping that we land three to five of them. You probably know who you want to go get as a transfer because they're out there and you've talked to them. You got to do a little managing with your staff and, and, and try to find a way to put that together. But I think it allows coaches in this day and age to just say, I'll do a little bit in the morning talk to some guys, you know, vet some people, whatever it is, and then I'm all in for this game. Because, well, I mean, let's be honest, winning a national title as a coordinator is going to be super valuable at the next stop anyway. And you don't think those cameras are going to be on Sark for half the game, the new Texas coach? I mean, they're going to be talking about that. He wins it. They're going to be showing him, asking him questions. That's all valuable for him as he moves on to Texas. So we had we had the Outback Bowl and and we talked to Kane Womack about it. He's going to South Alabama as the head coach. It's it is it's a totally different deal. I get it, but you know he told us he's like I'm I'm a hundred percent 
dialed into this bowl game. I want to try to help Indiana win one of the biggest games in school history. He said he gave he he spent a little time every morning talking to the staff that he had already hired, maybe recruiting a few kids, looking at the roster, doing different things. But then from that point on, he was dialed in and he was all into that game. So I think the early signing period in the portal allows you the opportunity to say, I don't have to go do anything right now. I can just kind of be the head coach for an hour or two in the morning and then I can lock in on this game because you don't have to go save a recruiting class. And that's what that's what guys were so that's what Kirby when he left and Pruitt took over. He was so terrified of losing, not getting a good recruiting class, and he just wanted to have every possible four or five star that he left to go hit the road. But he also had a he had until the you know what was it, February fourth or whatever, so he had a month and a half to be able to go do it. Now it's like, well, he, most of our kids are in, so I don't have to go do it. Yeah, Cole. Now, now I want to get your prediction on the game, obviously, but first, a lot of people around here concerned, not concerned, but you know. Curious as to the type of fit that Steve Sarkeesian is at Texas. So I'm just curious, what, what do you think? What, what was your reaction when he was named the Longhorns' new head coach? Because you know, a couple of you guys here were wondering, um, you've obviously covered him a lot closer than us. Says it yeah. seemed like a good fit, bad fit. What do you think? Based on what's happened since Mac Brown left, what is a good fit? that's a good point i mean because we we i think it's i think it's a fair question always and there are there sometimes there are obvious answers like sam Pittman at arkansas that's a great fit like and that's why it worked to a certain extent this year and that's why it will continue to work is just that he is a great fit for what that is um i i don't know what the fit is at texas anymore and my i'll tell you what the fit in my opinion is it's someone that has accomplished enough in their career that they don't care what anyone there as a regent, as a donor, as an AD, don't care what anyone says, stay out of my office, leave me alone, let me run the program. And until they get a person like that, I always feel like it's going to be a you-know-what show. Do you ever believe that a person could really do that? The only person was Urban Meyer. I, that's, what I thought, that's why I said, if you don't get Urban Meyer, what are you doing? Yeah, and I and I think that may have been one of the reasons Nick didn't take it when he had a chance to take it, because he he could have taken it and he probably knew how difficult a task that was at Alabama and the fact that he had actually accomplished it. Which I, that that by the way of all those things we mentioned earlier, the most impressive accomplishment for Nick Saban at Alabama is being able to shut that door to the boosters and the people, the donors and all those other people, and to just leave him alone. And they have, and that's that's not an easy task because you. You kind of have to earn that. Like people don't just on the front end say, oh yeah, you're good. Take my 10 million. I don't want anything in return, which I always ask the question, what do you want? Like, do you want to call plays? Like, do you, do you want a, do you want like a CB radio to the sideline during games? Like, do you want the coach to come play putt-putt with you? Like, I don't know what the hell these they people want. They want to be able to tell their friends well, that tell they them. talk to a coach. You know tell what I'm saying? Them. It's like, it's a. Tell them ego thing yeah show them the contact in your phone and just say <laughs> yeah i can call them whenever i want so what uh, it's like i tell every i tell all these guys that i think are going to be head coaches one day and a couple of them have you all need to hire an fu coach everybody needs an fu coach a guy who can say fu man don't do that fu man don't say that anymore don't do that interview that's a bad fu that is a bad idea 
And if that starts to happen, give the phone to your FU coach. And he can manage that. And he can handle that. You just got to have somebody around you that knows how to manage it. Like, hey, Billy Bob, yeah, I know things are good at the oil factory. We're, we're going to come see you. What's been going on? Like, let him handle that and then give, give the head coach the phone for 30 seconds. Oh, Billy, man, we miss you up here. Let's get together. Yeah, bring the, bring the truck. We got to come see the cows. Okay. And then you're off doing your thing. Like, it's over. It's done. It's all management. And that's why Saban's great at it. And that's why Urban was great at it because Urban's super organized and he knows how to handle it. So is Sark the guy for that? Eh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the thing that concerns me even more than that is I think when these guys get outside of the Nick Saban umbrella of structure, I don't, I'm not saying that the, the, the house completely falls apart. But it's much easier to go a lot of different directions. I feel like Dennis Rodman on that 30 for 30 right now. <laughs> um, it's, it's much easier to, to get out of line or not be, as, not be as determined as you need to be or put the hours in that you should or more hours than you should because Saban's going to hold you accountable for that. And when you're the guy, here's the problem with all these head coaches, and you guys know this, nobody ever tells them no. They, they haven't been told no in years. And that's why a lot of them act like my five-year-old daughter when something doesn't go, when, a, when a team can't play a game, that's why they act like my daughter when she doesn't get a second cookie at night. It's the same, the same thing. They don't know how to be told no. So I, I, I think that you've got to know how to structure yourself and you have to have an understanding that you are in charge not only of everybody else, but of you. And if you allow yourself to take advantage of that, which I have in my life, still do, I'm probably going to eat ice cream tonight. Shouldn't be doing that. but No I judgment will. here. <laughs> but I probably will. So I think what will be very important for Sark is, is his staff. And that has nothing to do with play calling. That has nothing to do with scheme. It has nothing to do with recruiting. I think he needs a few people around him that can hold him accountable. I think if you see Kyle Flood go with him, that, that will be a very good sign. Um, I'm just going to throw a name out. I don't know if this is real at all, but a guy like Kevin Steele as defensive coordinator, I think would be great. Someone who's been around, who, who has been inside big, major college football programs, knows how the BS works behind the scenes, and he can say, hey, 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 don't, don't get into that. Don't worry about that. Come on, we need to go do this. Just those type of mentor-type coaches around him. He's going to need a few of those. He just is. Um, do I worry about his past? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, had it, I've been an alcohol abuser in my life. I've had it shut down for over four years, and it's why I can't go anywhere near it because I know if I do, there's no stopping me. It's literally it's all in or it's all out. So I know how hard it is to manage that. And it's not fun to have to manage it when you're in an environment that it's very welcome. And I know a lot of these college programs, it's welcomed and encouraged. So now he's going to be on the front line of that. There's nobody else holding him back. So there are some things that concern me. But if you're talking about a guy that can call plays and can scheme, can draw up offense, can move the ball, he's as brilliant as anybody, man. He, he does not get enough credit for how good that offense is this year. He really doesn't because – it's not just turn and hand it to 22 or throw a bunch of deep balls to six. Go watch the first three series of that Notre Dame game and just look how much space there is 
between the people who touch the ball third, center, quarterback, next guy, and the next closest defender. Because they're not standing right next to him. It's not catching the ball in traffic. It's not, it's not shaking a guy at the line of scrimmage. I mean, you're, you're talking about the Heisman Trophy winner getting the ball without a defender 10 yards in sight. You're talking about the tight end on a fly motion where most people are like, what's he doing? Catching the ball and there's nobody within 15 yards, and he picks up almost 20. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane the way he's able to help these guys, superstars, find space and create. So he's good at that. He has head coaching experience. He's been at the ultimate place that you have to deal with everything. And he praises Nick Saban for what he's taught him, what he showed him, how he's mentored him, and he views Nick as that. So I think he has everything in line to make it work. I just hope he puts some people around him that can hold him accountable to make sure that he makes it work. Uh, Back to the championship game. Uh, I think it's going to be a great one. I think Ohio State is incredibly difficult to predict right now. I mean, I think personally that Alabama wins, but it would not shock me at all if Ohio State, who looks like they're getting hot at the right time, uh, maybe shows up and wins the thing. What do you think? Final result. I'm with you. I I think Alabama finds a way to win. I think we're looking at a game probably goes over 80 in the total. I think I could see a a 45-42, something like that, 49-42. Running the football is going to be massive in this game. Because if you watch what Alabama does, they're not a heavy RPO team like they were when Tua was there. They are a heavy play action team. That's kind of what's cool about both of these teams is they both actually use legit play action. It's not all RPO stuff or predetermined reads. And Alabama's got some old school, traditional, heavy, elongated play action stuff. They'll, they'll give you some half roll. Uh, they call it hammer and nail protection. They'll give you some, some sprint outs. And, I mean, they'll give you that – the quarterback's turning his back to the defense and then coming up and, you know, taking his shots. And that's where most of their explosives come from. And Ohio State's the same way. They do it a little bit different, but they will utilize some heavy play action to try to get those shots placed. And that's all based on running the ball. And I think you have two very physical offensive lines, two dynamic tailbacks, and two great quarterbacks. So I, I don't know if there are just – there's not going to be a ton of answers defensively for either one of these. I really don't believe that. A, a turnover could be massive because if you score, turn them over and go score again, now all of a sudden you're in a really good spot uh, based on the way I think, and it sounds like you think the, the way the game's going to go, Teddy. So I think Alabama finds a way. Uh, I think there's too much experience, too much firepower, and I think that they can be a little bit more physical if need be, and they don't have the little micro concerns. Like what are the, the only micro concern I have about Alabama – is the fact that they got a center that's starting for the second time this year, and the guy that was playing in front of him was dynamic and amazing. I got a lot of micro concerns for Ohio State. How healthy is the quarterback? How healthy is the right guard? I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about Wyatt Davis and how good he is. He went out of that Clemson game late, and everything points to the fact that he's just fine and he's okay, but he did not finish that game. And then you look to, is, is this defensive line the group that's been hit by COVID? Are there going to be a couple guys that are out? It didn't stop them against Clemson because they had a handful of guys out of that game, which nobody even mentions anymore. But I just don't have all the little micro concerns about Alabama. And I think it gives you a huge advantage knowing exactly who you are, exactly what you have, and exactly what you want to be going into a game like this, where 
maybe, like you said, some, some weird things happen and Ohio State bust a few things out that we didn't expect, and that might win them the game, but I'd rather know exactly what I am and rather know exactly what I was going to be heading into a game like this. He's the hardest working man in college football media, baby. Go follow him on Twitter at Cole Kublik. Check him out on SEC Network and, of course, on WJOX there in Alabama. Cole, you're the man. Always appreciate it. First interview since January 2nd, and I've done a bunch of them that I have not been asked about a blooming onion. So I want to okay, tell you guys, so I appreciate that. I, 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 figured, I figured you'd been asked a lot, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to let the man one. eat the blooming onion in peace. You well, had well, great technique. Thank you. Well, why are they trying to go to you whenever they could see clearly you're in the middle of it, you know? No, that's, I think they, that's what they thought was fun about it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Right. I mean, they wanted to get it on that, that I had it, that the, that the bowl brought it to me. And I think they were jealous that they didn't have one. But It's an under, underrated app now. It's, a, it's, it's an underrated delicious. appetizer. I think it might be the best. And it had been years since I've had one. Goodness gracious, I forgot how good they were. I could have I crushed the entire thing. That it was sauce? 80, it was 85 degrees. I was already sweating. Uh, I was in the sun. <laughs> The heat index was about 100. We had a quarter and a half of football to go, and I'm thinking, I could do it, but if I, if I do, there, there could be heavy prices to pay by the time we get to fourth quarter. So I'm going to lay off. You were thinking about the rest of the game, though. Oh, oh focus, yeah, of right? course I was. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I can remember being an offensive lineman in college, and we would have a big group go to Outback, either like you know with our girlfriends or just a, a group of guys, like, even with my parents. Like my dad would come down with, and I had a little brother, a little sister, and we would start ordering apps. And I'd order, I'd order the blue and onion. I'd say, hey, if you guys want some of that, you should probably order one too. Because <laughs> like, like that one's mine. Pick I'd it crush up, like the whole apple thing. And dip it exactly. In yes, I crush. And why Van Pelt thought my bites were too big? I was disrespectful. I, I, <laughs> How dare he? How what do you dare eat, what do you eat one onion? One onion bites. at a time. Are you like who's peeling off one of those little onion pieces? Like. The Bloomin' Onion is not a dainty app. That is like a full board go. That is like a that, bear claw app. That's a straight up caveman app yes. right there. <laughs> yes, yes. That is not like a mini bird app where you're like trying to get a sunflower seed. That is, I mean, you're going in that thing like a grizzly bear. Just, ah, give me all of it. And always got to get extra sauce every time because that's running out too fast. You knew you had to have extra sauce. Only way to do it. Cole. Good stuff, man. You're the man. Thanks, Phyllis. Always appreciate it. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments. Let's start with our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? This one may seem counterintuitive, but my winner of the week is Chase Young. And he's got a ton of attention what could go wrong with that quote well right he and for anyone that doesn't know after the redskins uh controversial win over philly 
when he was going off the field, Chase Young was yelling, uh, give me Tom Brady. I want Tom. And obviously everyone can't wait to ask Tom Brady about that. Ooh, they're calling him out. They think they're going to beat him. And yes, obviously it is giving your opponent some bulletin board material. But the other side of it is this. I think that Chase Young is about to be either the best or one of the two or three best defensive players in the NFL over the next five, six, eight years. I think he is unbelievable. And a lot of people, because he's a defensive guy, a guy in place for Washington, haven't really heard of him. You know, he had a brief little flash at Ohio State. He had one year at Ohio State where he took the, the football world by storm. And then he goes to Washington and they have a losing year and you don't hear a lot, but Washington's defense is actually really good. Their defensive line is fantastic. I think this deal has thrown a lot of attention on him and he has the chance, you know, they've had some trouble protecting Tom this year at times. He has the chance with a big game to just burst onto the scene as a household name. You know, you and I know about Chase Young, you know, people that, watch Washington every week or NFC East and, you know, follow the NFL pretty close. Follow the draft because he went so high, you know. Casual observers of the NFL, I don't think they know who he is or what type of year that he's had. So I think this is a a big flashlight, spotlight moment for him. And if he performs well, which I think he will because he's unbelievable, I think this could turn into endorsements and just a – just a huge explosion of how well he's known celebrity, all of those things. Big money game for chase young yeah. is what you're saying. It's, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be the storyline throughout the entire game. So, oh yeah. It's going to be great. Now the other side of that is he could be my loser of the week next week. <laughs> 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 Tom Brady goes out and throws for four bills and lights them up. Uh, there, there's definitely that possibility. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? There's no way around it. It's got to be the Browns, the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, you know, going to the playoffs is there's no doubt it's an it's an unbelievable, um, it, it's an unbelievable accomplishment from how bad things have been, uh, disheveled, you know, behind the scenes, the front office. Fired guys, hired guys, fired guys. I mean, it's just been insane there. So to be in the playoffs as an 11-5 football team is a massive accomplishment. And wouldn't you know, as soon as you pull it off with a win over the Steelers in week 17 of the season, number one, you're playing them again. And number two, your head coach, the guy that's brought all of that stability to the organization – your play caller, uh, the leader of that team isn't going to be able to be there for the game. I mean, you go through all of that and you're not even going to be able to be at full strength whenever and, you're there. Did they, did the Browns not earn enough like positive karma with the thing they did with the fan, the fan that had cancer, bringing him to the game, all that stuff? Like, uh, now, what's going on, football gods? Come on, man. I personally believe that if we have the technology, 
and the capability to have Stefanski there able to be in communication with the coach and quarterback and call plays should be able to do it. Um, that's just me. I know people say, well, you can't change the rules midway through the season about what you can and can't do. Uh, I say just look at college football, what they did with Ohio State. Sure you can. Rules are meant to be uh, broken and changed. So, I mean, I, I think they could easily, safely have him to where he could still do his job as the play caller. But it looks like that's not going to happen. Just put him in a hazmat suit on the sideline. He's not going to pass out. It's going to be cold in Pittsburgh. He'll be fine. Exactly. Be the, be the or, most comfortable guy on the field. Did you ever see Bubble Boy? Did you ever see that movie? Bubble Boy? Uh, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. God, put him in that. He'll be fine. <laughs> put him in a bubble. All right. My winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and the cable boxes, so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone. And my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Now, Ted, I thought about going with Trevor Lawrence's brother because he had all kinds of people talking about his look, his vibe. They were like, ooh, who is Trevor's cool, like, hippie brother? The guy the guy looks like a good time. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Trevor Lawrence declared for the NFL draft. I know we're all shocked. Didn't see it coming. Uh, that Jacksonville. Uh, Eric Bieniemy interviewing down there. That'd be awesome hire. No doubt. But uh, I also thought about a couple more people, but then I landed at this one. And, and, and follow me on this, Ted. But my winner of the week is Joe Brady. Now, a lot of people remember Joe Brady. He was uh, the play caller. Right? I don't even remember if he actually called play. He was the pass game coordinator or whatever for LSU, but Joe Burrow thanked him in his Heisman speech. He was kind of a big deal. Uh, he is now the offense coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. But LSU just hired a guy named Jake Peets to be their new offensive coordinator. And Jake Peets is now getting some shine on him because of Joe Brady. But the reason Joe Brady is my winner of the week is because everyone is just saying, oh, Jake Peets, he was the quarterback coach for the Panthers, so he just learned from Joe Brady, oh, we have to hire him. It's almost like the Sean McVay thing, right? Like, he knows Joe Brady. He's hired. Well, it, it, it turns out that Jake Peets has over like a decade of experience in the NFL but now everyone's just like, oh, that's the Joe Brady guy. Yeah, we got it. So that's that's one of those things where like this very qualified guy who was almost the offensive coordinator at USC a couple of years ago. I think I think Bruce Feldman said that the other day. And I was like, wait, this isn't just like some guy that knew Joe Brady. This guy's like, he's been doing, he's been grinding for a long time. But that's where Joe Brady's at. He's the winner of the week. He's turning into the guy, like, if you know him. You want to get someone that's been in the same room with him. He's turning into one of those guys. It's kind of cool to be one of those guys, Ted. Two things. Number one, he should just get a small piece of, of that contract, right? And number two, I think that is the worst way to hire people. 
the absolute worst way. When you hire someone feeling like you're going to get um, like a, a Saban understudy or an Urban Meyer understudy, and you feel like you're just getting the next one of those guys, nine times out of ten, it turns out to be a disaster. It's never the next guy. It's never the never. next one of those guys. Never. Ask uh, Texas, if it, Texas if Tom Herman was the next Urban Meyer. But no. uh, I'm betting Jake Peets. The new offense coordinator at LSU, he's like, I don't care. Have you seen my bank account now? <laughs> but well, they're paying him a fortune. He'll have some athletes. They always do. I don't know if he's going to have a tight end, though. Ooh. That kid, it, the Gilbert kid, he's officially in the portal. Yep. And he looked good I, in crimson it, and cream. God, he looked good in any uniform. That dude is a beast. I guess uh, Oklahoma and Georgia, maybe, are the, the two teams. I like that. I I like it a lot. All right. My loser of the week uh, thought about going with, okay, we all have these people in our lives, right, that say that they refuse to watch the NFL. It's for different reasons, you know. Well, I got news for those people. Nielsen, they came out with their 2020 TV ratings, and in a shocking development, 71 of the top 100 biggest TV audiences were for NFL games, 11 of the top 15. So I, it's just, I like to remind people every year when these numbers come out, like congrats on boycotting the NFL. No one cares. Okay. Yeah. But they're not my loser of the week. They're not. Well, I'll just say this. Their boycott of the NFL went about like my boycott of the Clemson Ohio state game. I watched the entire thing. And you're like, Ohio state belongs. They look fantastic. No, I still don't think they should be in it, but I did watch after saying I would boycott. But uh, my loser of the week, it, it has to be whoever runs Texas football's Twitter. I, I'm not, I, and I know uh, everyone has seen that graphic. If, if you haven't, what happened was uh, Texas football put up a tweet uh, that basically said, hey, Steve Sarkeesian has two Heisman Trophy finalists and – I don't think it uh, it got the reception they were expecting. Now I get it; they were just trying to maybe get their fans fired up. They were, you know, trying to show support for their new coach, kind of what he's accomplishing. But what's the best way to put this? It it came off very SEC e. It came off. I I saw a lot of uh, Texas fans say that it made them look like they were Texas A&M, and I can't imagine they meant that as a good thing. So <laughs> I I understand what they were trying to do, Ted, but you want to support the new coach, but I, I don't think it had the effect where they're like, yeah, look at all the great players he's got at this other school. I, I don't think it, it went the way they thought it was going to go. No, it ended up great graphic. Yeah. Great I saw graphic. a couple of, I saw Johnny Manziel tweeting out. I saw people saying next thing you know, uh, Texas is going to put the uh, SEC championship banner in their indoor facility, all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, pretty funny. I get it. I know what they're trying to do, but you have to, everything that you post, you have to say, how will this be used against us before you put it out there? Everything. And when you're Texas, even more so, most likely, on everything that you put out there. How mm. will it be used against us? And that one got tons of play. I love it. 
did did not go well. It's a, what a shame. What a shame. All right, let's move on to Wet the Beak. That's brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nickel Sills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. So we've got six, count them, six NFL playoff games this weekend. This is something we've all dreamt about. I can't wait. Baltimore at Tennessee could be really good. I won't be surprised if the Colts give Buffalo a good game. I mean, that's a big spread there, but there's one game we got to talk about, and, and you did a nice job of hit, touching on it in winners and losers, Ted, and that the Browns at the Steelers because the Steelers are a six-point favorite, which is a big number in the playoffs. And you mentioned what's going wrong for the Browns. Uh, Stefanski and a couple other coaches tested positive. A couple players, including their Pro Bowl offensive lineman, Joel Petonio, who, by the way, is one of the best guys I've ever met. We were teammates. He is fantastic, so so sad to see him test positive. Uh, oh, also, uh, Jedrick Wills and Richard Higgins got cited for drag racing on uh, on a Tuesday because who among us doesn't drag race on a Tuesday? And the Browns facility wasn't open Tuesday, wasn't open Wednesday, uh, so they were doing everything virtually, right? Getting ready for a playoff game. Now, the rest of the tests, according to Adam Schefter, the rest of the tests came back negative. So they should be good to move forward, but they're having to go on the road against Pittsburgh, who was just able to rest some key guys, including Ben Roethlisberger. So it, I mean, it is going to be interesting to see how Roethlisberger looks in this one. I, I wonder if the Browns can produce enough explosive plays against that Pittsburgh defense. And I know they're missing two really, really good players off that defense. But I just don't know if Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, and Hunt, if they if they can get things going, if they can find a rhythm, especially without Stefanski calling plays, Ted, because that Steelers defense is still legit, and they're at home, and those guys, let's be real, they have playoff experience, and the Browns don't. So they're currently a 6.6 point favorite in Pittsburgh what do you think well if I had to if I had to bet it I'd lay the points on the Steelers now there are a couple of interesting things though now typically I would say the Steelers would have a massive advantage going into this game having just played them and being able to the Browns were in a must-win situation so there's no holding back Uh, they were able just to, to put a a very vanilla game plan together 
um, and, and go out there and see what the Browns call whenever they have to have plays and what they think is the best way to attack the Steelers because they had to win the thing. But it's maybe not necessarily true of that because of the circumstances of that game where they didn't have their best wide receivers. So that changes a little bit to where I don't think the Steelers really saw what the Browns fully had to offer. So I do think that's interesting. Now, I also think it's it's interesting, and it's it's obviously not ideal for the Browns for Stefanski to not be there. He's You brought him there because of uh, his prowess as an offensive coordinator, the way he calls plays. That's why he got that job. So you absolutely want him to be there, and I don't know – that whoever ends up calling plays is going to be able to recreate his feel for that offense. And, uh, you know, for some of the unique things that they do, uh, balancing run and play action pass. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. But, you know, whenever you're looking at an opponent, you um, as much as you go through the scenarios down in distance and, and, and what they're heavy in, obviously, but that's with one play caller. And you get a feel for how that person calls games and how yeah, they and, and you get manage data down the distance on it. Yeah, like I mean, they, they've got all this stuff broken down by percentage, situation, everything. So that's all you have to go off of. And chances are, yes, in fact, it will hold true. And whoever calls the plays will end up calling the plays pretty much the same. But maybe it's a little bit different. And maybe not knowing exactly what they're going to get ends up helping the Browns out a little bit. I don't think either of those things are a big enough advantage for them to overcome or win the game. I think the Steelers are a better football team uh, anyhow. But I do think that it at least makes this game incredibly interesting. I would still lay the six with the Steelers, even though I've always said, and maybe I'm going to eat my words on this, but for me – I always go defense and running game in the playoffs and they've got the defense, but the Steelers do not have the running game right now. So they can't run the football at all. When can can you imagine saying the Pittsburgh Steelers can't run the football? And it's, it, it is weird to see. And I wonder how healthy big Ben is. I'm, I'm going to take the points just out of the principle, right? That's a huge number in playoff football. I, I know they're at home, but you mentioned the Steelers, they can't run it. The Browns, and it, it's unfortunate, unfortunate, but Tonio's not going to be in this game, but they got that solid offensive line still. They've got great backs. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm going to take the Browns and the points just because I think that's a disrespectful line. <laughs> and you said, I mean, come on, the karma has to show up, right? It has yeah. to show up. I mean, how much bad luck can a team have in one week? <laughs> I guess we're about I'll tell to you, find out. I'll tell you, if you're the if you're the Cleveland Browns fan, you made the playoffs. This year's already a massive success. You don't even have to lit, win your first round game. If you just cover the spread in your first round game, I mean, can it get any better? We made the playoffs and we covered the spread in the first round. Come on. Good teams win. Great teams cover, Ted. Always right. remember that. Never forget it. 
All right, Ted, let's finish up with everyone's favorite segment. That's keeping it local where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. That's brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back late. That's not right. They were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020 with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, so this story affects Oklahoma and Oklahoma State basketball. And we are recording this during the OU Baylor game. Sooners make it a little bit of a comeback. Ted, it is yeah. now Baylor 52, OU 43, 11:40 to play in the second half. So, uh, you know, there, there, there is your basketball update. But so this is a little keeping it local, little FGTB, a uh, little hybrid, but the state of Indiana will host all of March Madness. So the NCAA comes out, makes this big announcement as it pertains to March Madness. So the majority of of the games going to be played in the city of Indianapolis. So you're going to have different hosts there in the state of Indiana, uh, Ball State, Butler, Indiana, Purdue. There's some people hearing those go, yeah, I knew those were in the state of Indiana, of course. <laughs> but plenty of stadiums, plenty of arenas, including the Colt Stadium, right, Lucas Oil. So it, it sounds like they're going to try to make it as close to a bubble with protocols and all that but it sounds also like family members of the players and coaches will be able to come to the games so we've both been to indianapolis teddy for the combine and when you think about it we think about how it's all connected with like the sky bridges and all that stuff it seems like this could work because i i don't i'm not gonna pretend i'm a expert on the ncaa's finances but there's no way in hell they can go without having another NCAA tournament. I mean, it no. just can't happen. So billion dollars. Yeah, this seems like it should work, right? This town is essentially designed to host conventions. This should be able to work. Now it's kind of weird that the whole tournament's being played in Indiana, but whatever. They love basketball there. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those things where. It sounds fine, and if this is what you've got to do to pull it off, great. I don't know necessarily how it really changes anything or makes it better, but I'm down. I, 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 whatever they've got to do to pull it off to where sponsors feel comfortable that the thing's going to be played, universities feel comfortable sending their, their coaches and players you know, as long as everyone's okay, I'm fine with it. It's not going to affect my experience at all. I mean, they could, as far as I know, they were playing those games on the moon. Uh, never changed anything for me. So I'm all for it. Whatever they've got to do in order to pull this thing off, do it. And this sounds like is is as good a plan as any. Makes it a lot easier to pull it off whenever it's all in the same state in semi-close uh uh, area so i'm all for it i wish it was they get everyone there 
and we just play the games until it's done. Now, of course, I don't mind it being spread out over several weeks. Obviously, it gives stuff to talk about, matchups to talk about, but it would also be cool if it was high school basketball style where you just play until you have a winner. You play 10 games in one day. <laughs> AAU style. Now, I'm I'm just glad that it sounds like they're going to be able to figure it out. And uh, that's that's important because March Madness is so damn cool. And I'd be so worried about all my friends that are degenerate gamblers if it didn't happen again. Oh, no. I, I don't know if they could make it another year, Ted. Forget the NCAA. What are those gamblers out there going to do? What's Vegas going to do? It's supposed to be a huge, huge weekend for Vegas. So, yeah, I, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Whatever, like, because, I mean, the biggest thing is selling it to sponsors. You know, if a if a, if I'm a sponsor and someone's asking me for five million dollars in advertising money for this event, I'm like, how can you guarantee me that it's even going to happen? And I think this putting a, a plan together like this gets all those people, you know, on the same page that okay, we can move forward with this. Yeah, but sounds like decisions on fans uh, that'll be made a little a little further down the line, but. I'm excited. I'm excited. And OU and OSU should be in the tournament, right? I, I think that, you know, OU probably. I, th- I think I, today they were on the first, right first teams out or something like that. They were, and I think Oklahoma State was oh, yeah. maybe a play in. Wait, they can't go to the tournament, can they? Is that is that still a thing or did that get reversed? It was I thought it was going to get reversed. But then I never heard anything. It went quiet. What the hell? Everyone wants to watch Cade Cunningham in the tournament. Do the right thing. At the end of the day, I mean, the NCAA, we just talked about it. They need this tournament. They need stars. They need to let them play. You know, I mean, I, whether it's going to be one of the first to. picks in the draft. Do the right thing, NCAA. Don't be, right. I mean, don't Go. be stupid. Oh, oh, Ted. Macy Oteague is just, he's giving the Sooners the business. Uh oh. Baylor extends the lead to 17 Oof. with 10 minutes to go. They're damn good. And on that note, episode 75 in the books. We'll have a new podcast. Okay, we didn't talk about this. Do you want to do, when do we want to drop the new podcast? The next podcast? Don't know. Because obviously. The game is Monday. Yeah, but we'd have to do it really late. Because it's like a 7 p.m. kickoff, you know. So you just want to keep the normal schedule? I think so. I mean, we've got a good preview of it. We'll have a good preview of it. It's the next day. And then, I mean, we're only waiting until Wednesday to, to recap it. And there'll be some other news come out of it as well. So I think, I think the yep. regular schedule's fine. Yeah, we'll do something. We'll do something creative on Sunday night. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. All right. All right. So. Next episode, Monday morning. Yeah, that's what we arrived at. There we go. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.